Let God transform your life as you listen to this inspiring sermon by Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb. Pedro Manzon loved football. Growing up in the town of Goya, Argentina, he started playing as a boy in the fields near his home. He dreamed of becoming a professional footballer and of one day playing for Argentina in the World Cup. To help achieve his dreams, Pedro played night and day. He practiced hard and disciplined himself. When other boys were off fishing or hunting, Pedro was dribbling and shooting. Gradually, his skills improved. When he was just 18 years of age, he was signed to a professional team. Then, nine years later, he won a spot on the national team for Argentina. When Argentina qualified later that year for the World Cup in Italy, Pedro's lifelong dream was coming true. At the World Cup, Argentina moved easily through their early matches. After winning their semifinal match against Italy, Pedro and his team were set to face Germany in the World Cup final. Pedro was on top of the world. It seemed all of his training and hard work would lead him to the ultimate prize. His talent, his teamwork, his training and his discipline were all coming together to bring him the ultimate victory. But unfortunately for Pedro and his team, there was one important element that was missing from their run to glory. Throughout the tournament, Argentina had a habit of fouling their opponents. They received the most yellow cards and the most red cards of any team in the 1990 World Cup. And though they were able to advance in spite of their rough play, their fouls eventually caught up with them. In fact, breaking the rules cost Argentina the World Cup. You see, in the final against Germany, Pedro Manzon was the first player in FIFA World Cup history to receive a red card in the final. He was sent off in the 65th minute. Not long after that, Germany scored the only goal of the match against a weakened Argentina. All Pedro's hopes and dreams were shattered. His team suffered a devastating defeat. And Pedro learned the hard way that you can't succeed if you don't follow the rules. That's the lesson of our sermon this morning. The fact is, you may know the right thing to do, but that doesn't guarantee you'll do the right thing. For the last five weeks, we've been learning what the wise choice is in the decisions of life. But knowing the wise choice doesn't guarantee you'll make the wise choice. That's why today, as we come to the end of this sermon series, we're going to go back to the beginning to discover the most important thing you still need to do in order to foolproof your life. But before we go further, let's ask the Holy Spirit to teach us today. Please join me as we bow our heads and pray. Almighty and everlasting Father, we thank you today for gathering us in your presence to hear and learn from you. We pray that your Holy Spirit will come and teach us now. We submit to you in the name of Jesus. We bind every voice of the enemy that would come to deceive or disturb or distract us. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, I loose the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to fill every heart and home today to give us light, life, and love that we may walk in wisdom. We thank you by faith in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. I want to invite you to take a moment and pray along with me. Just join your faith with mine, lay your hand on your chest, and say after me, Lord Jesus, speak to my heart, change my life, manifest your glory in me, in Jesus' name, 
Amen. Well, God richly bless you. If you prayed that prayer with a sincere heart of faith, I know that God is going to answer your prayer and give you the wisdom you need to live for him. That's why I'm excited to have you join me today as we conclude our sermon series called Foolproof. We've had an awesome time together over the last five weeks as we've learned how to foolproof our lives. Now, if you happen to miss any of the previous sermons in this series, be sure to go to my YouTube channel at Pastor Richard C. Whitcomb. You can find all the sermons in the Foolproof series there in one place, along with many other sermons and series I've taught. And when you visit my YouTube channel, be sure to click on the subscribe button and the notification bell. And of course, let God use you to minister to others by sharing my sermons with your friends and family. Throughout this series, there's a passage of scripture that has been guiding us in our search for wisdom. It's found in Ephesians 5, 15 to 17, and it's also found at the top of your sermon notes. Your sermon notes are available free of charge for every sermon I preach. Plus, the sermon notes come along with a daily devotional, which helps you continue learning God's wisdom even after the sermon ends. You can download the sermon notes and devotional for free from my website, my Facebook page, and my YouTube channel. I invite you to take out your notes now. Find our scripture text for this series at the top of your notes. We've been reading it out loud together every week, so let's read it out loud one more time together today. Are you ready? Three, two, one, go. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to your heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. We began this series by looking closely at these verses and learning that God commands us to be very careful how we live. Tell your neighbor, be very careful how you live. The fact is, choices have consequences, and wisdom has rewards. So if you're going to foolproof your life, you have to make choices in your life based on wisdom. When we choose based on emotion or selfishness, we end up losing in life. But when we live wisely, we make the most of every opportunity as we follow God's will. That's why each week, we've been learning to ask a very simple question in order to foolproof our lives. For every decision, for every invitation, for every opportunity and relationship, the question we have to ask is, what's the wise thing to do? And specifically, we've been learning to ask it like this. In light of my past experience, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? You can ask that question about romantic relationships, about business decisions, about invitations and opportunities, about your daily schedule and time, about every decision you face. No matter what arena your decision is in, if you'll ask that question, it will clarify to you what you should do. And I hope you'll begin using this question every day and keep asking it the rest of your life. What's the wise thing to do? But here's the final truth you need to learn today in order to foolproof your life. Asking that question alone is not enough to foolproof your life. It's not enough to learn what the wise thing to do is. You have to take the next step and do it. Asking that question will clarify what you should do but it doesn't necessarily determine what you will do. See, friends, the beginning of wisdom is not seeking for wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is surrendering to the source of wisdom. When you've surrendered yourself completely to the author of wisdom, then you will do what God says. 
if you want wisdom, it starts with the fear of God. That's what God himself teaches us in Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So today, let's go back to the beginning of wisdom and discover three reasons you should fear the Lord. And here's your first truth today. God's position demands that I fear him. Here's what that means for all of us. The fear of the Lord is simply acknowledging that he is God and I am not. The fear of the Lord is the recognition of who he is and showing reverence for him by obeying his commands. When you fear the Lord, it means you make decisions based on submission to God because of who he is. You don't make decisions based on what seems right to you or what makes sense to you or what feels good to you. You accept God's word and God's ways because he is God and you are not. That's why the Bible says in Job 37, 23, and 24, we cannot imagine the power of the Almighty. But even though he is just and righteous, he does not destroy us. No wonder people everywhere fear him. All who are wise show him reverence. In other words, when you recognize how big God is and how small you are, you fear him and show him reverence. When you acknowledge how good he is and how sinful you are, you will fear him and do what he says. Later in the book of Job, in chapters 38 to 41, God has a conversation with Job. He was asking Job questions, but these same questions can be asked of any of us today. Here's what God asked Job and what he asks you today. Where were you? When I created the world, God says, did you tell the ocean where to stop? Have you ever called forth the sun? Do you know where the source of water comes from? Can you count the clouds or make it rain? Can you call forth thunder and lightning? Can you provide food for the animals and birds? When we ponder these questions, we begin to realize how powerful our God is and how small we are. Job realized this and said in chapter 40, verses 4 and 5, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have nothing more to say. Then God goes on and asks us, who are you to question my wisdom? Are you as strong as God or as wise as the Almighty? And just like Job, all we can do is put our hands over our mouth and cry out, oh God, you are God. I am nothing in your sight. He's my creator and the great God of all power. Therefore, I ought to fear him. Yet listen to this complaint God makes against his people in Malachi 1.6. It's a complaint God has against many of his own people today. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord God Almighty. The fact is, even though God is God and we are not, most people, even church people, don't honor God the way we should. We've not shown him the respect he deserves. One of the things I love about our culture here in my home country of Ghana is the way we show respect to our fathers and to our elders. Yet someone greater than our fathers is here. Someone greater than all the elders is here. And we don't honor and respect him. How can I show more respect to my earthly father who simply gave me birth than to the great God who sustains my life every moment of every day? He is the God who gave me life. He gave my father life. Without him, I would not exist. My father would not exist. None of my family would have ever existed. 
If I honor my boss who pays me every month, shouldn't I honor the God who's the source of everything in my life? If I honor my boss who can sack me from a job, shouldn't I honor the God who can sack me from this earth? Friend, let's be frank. We are less faithful to our great God than many idol worshipers are to their little wooden false gods. We come late to church. We talk during worship. We're more interested on our friend's new iPhone than in the presence of God. Yet if you went to the house of an idol and were in the presence of a fetish priest, you wouldn't dare to talk. You wouldn't play with your mobile phone. How can the people who follow idols show more respect to their false gods than we do to the one True God, let me speak frankly to you today. I'm going to pepper you today. There are some of you who've been in church for years and you've never once attended an entire service from start to finish. You come late and you don't stay to the closing prayer. If you're going to a visa appointment at the U.S. Embassy, you would go early. You would go and stand in the hot sun in the queue, waiting for hours just to make sure you get there on time. If you're going to fly British Airways to London, you make sure you would get to the airport ahead of time. You will even go and sit in the hard chairs at the airport for hours just to make sure you don't miss your flight. But you come to church late and give God about five or ten minutes of praise and think you've done well. Why do we treat God less than we treat human kings? Why do we treat God less than we treat false gods? Why do we treat God less than even our own human fathers? For human fathers may discipline you, but God's discipline is far heavier than our father's discipline. False gods may frighten you, but God is far greater than any idol made by human hands. Human kings may throw you in prison or even execute you, but listen to what Jesus said in Luke 12, 4-5. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear him who has power over both your body and your soul. Honestly speaking, we fear the wrong things today. We fear death. We fear the devil. But Jesus said we ought to fear God. For all other powers are less than the power of Almighty God. There are some of us If you're on your way to church and you see a black cat, you'll stay home because you're afraid something bad may happen to you. But if you fear a black cat, why don't you fear the Almighty who created the cat? You ought to come and worship him. Once upon a time, there was a wealthy man named Mensa who lived here in East Legon, not far from my church. One Saturday, he decided to host a dinner party. So he sent his servant to the Medina market to buy the food items for the dinner party. But unfortunately for the servant, as he was going through Medina market, he came across the angel of death. When the angel of death saw the servant, he went like this. Well, the servant was so terrified, he rushed back to Mensa in East Legon as fast as he could go. Master, the servant cried, I must go at once to Kumasi. I've seen the angel of death in the Medina market, and he was threatening me. If I don't go to Kumasi at once to hide, I'm sure the angel of death will try to find me here. Well, Mensa wasn't too happy about losing his steward, but what could he say? So he agreed for his servant to go to Kumasi to hide. But after the servant left, Mensa got angry. He decided to go to Medina market and complain to the angel of death. 
So Mensa went to Medina Market and found the angel of death. Why did you frighten my servant today? Mensa said. I have a very important dinner party tonight, and you frightened my servant, so he ran away to hide in Kumasi. I wasn't trying to frighten your servant, the angel of death said. No, then why did you scare him by raising your hands like this? Mensa asked. I wasn't trying to scare him, the angel of death said. I went like this because I was surprised to see him at Medina Market this morning. You see, I have an appointment with him tonight in Kumasi. You fear the wrong thing. Don't fear death or Satan or any other thing. Fear God. Obey his word. That's the beginning of wisdom. See, friends, the fear of the Lord is not dread or worry. It's reverence and respect. It's the knowledge that he is God and I am not. You know something that puzzles me about the human being? We accept and submit to God's laws of nature, but we refuse to accept and submit to God's law of behavior. We all believe and accept the law of gravity. You would not go and jump out of an airplane in the sky because you understand the law of gravity. You know you would fall to your death. You accept that fact and you submit to it. It's an acknowledgement that God is in control and he's designed the world to work in specific ways. So if we acknowledge God's control and design in nature, why won't you acknowledge his control and design in your relationships? We accept the laws of physics and of engineering. We can go to the top of very tall buildings right here in Accra, and we trust that the balance in the building and the laws of physics will keep the building from toppling over. Most of us don't even give it a second thought. We're not wondering if the building will collapse. Our acceptance of physical facts is an acknowledgement of God's great design. But if you rely on God's laws of physics to keep you safe, why won't you rely on God's laws of finance to work for you as well? We take advantage of God's laws when it suits us, but we ignore them when they become inconvenient. We all accept the laws of nature. Many of us use family planning when we want to prevent a pregnancy. But the God who established the law of reproduction as it relates to the physical arena has also established laws of human sexuality. Why do you believe in God's physical laws but ignore his moral laws? Why do you take pains to submit to the physical laws of reproduction yet you reject the moral laws from the same God who says do not commit adultery, do not commit fornication. If you respect God as your creator, then you should obey him as your ruler for the true fear of God always leads us to obey his word. You can't say you respect God and honor him and then turn around and disobey his word. You can't claim to know God and disobey him. Your respect for God must result in action. This is what the Bible teaches us in 1 John 2, 3 to 6. Listen carefully. We know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know God, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Obedience is not optional. God requires it. His nature demands it. For Micah 6.8 says, the Lord has shown you what is good. He has told you what he requires of you. You must treat people fairly. 
You must love others faithfully. And you must be very careful to live the way your God wants you to. God's position demands that I fear and obey him. But listen, friends, that's not the only reason to fear the Lord. Here's the second reason. God's truth teaches me to fear him. God's truth teaches us to fear him. It teaches us that obedience is the right way to follow. It teaches us that obedience results in blessings. In fact, you can actually learn to fear God by listening to his word. Listen to what God tells us in Deuteronomy 31, 11 to 13. You shall read this law so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Their children must hear it and learn to fear. Everybody say learn to fear. Learn to fear the Lord your God. So when you accept his word, it teaches you to fear the Lord. And when we fear him and follow his ways, we receive abundant and amazing blessings. That's why Psalm 25, 12 to 14 tells us, who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. They will live in prosperity and their children will inherit the land. The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. Do you understand and hear what the promise is from God in these verses, you'll know the right path to choose. That means when you fear God, you'll always make wise choices. You'll have direction in life. You'll live in prosperity. It won't come and go. You'll live in it. Your children will inherit the land. You'll be a friend of God. He'll teach you his covenant, which means you'll know the purpose and plan of God for your life. This is the promise of God to those who fear him. But sadly, this is the very place where many Christians today are mistaken. We've ignored the fact that God's blessings come to those who fear and obey him. We think that God's blessings come through a prophet. We think that God's blessings come through anointing oil. Most Christians don't learn the fear of God because we don't listen to God's word. We'd rather listen to a prophet from the village than to the word of God that came from heaven. We've made a serious mistake. We've disconnected the blessings of God with obedience to God. We've sought what God can do for us without any consideration of what we do for him. We've not understood that full and complete obedience to God is the path of blessing. We've not accepted that how we live is tied to how God favors us. And here's the real heart of the matter. Whenever you separate the person of Jesus from the purpose of Jesus, you are deceived. We see this in the story found in Mark 8, 29 to 33. Here Jesus has a conversation with Peter. Listen carefully to how Jesus separates the person of Jesus from the purpose of Jesus and makes a grave error. In verse 29, the Bible says, Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. So he acknowledges the person of Jesus. Jesus then transitions from talking about who he is to talking about why he came, his purpose. He moves from teaching about his identity to his purpose and listen to what he taught the disciples. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. He taught them that the Son of Man must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, but Peter didn't like what Jesus was saying about his purpose. So Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said this, Get behind me, Satan, Jesus said. 
you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter went from proclaiming Christ as the Messiah to promoting the devil's agenda. He went from calling Jesus the Messiah to then denying the very reason the Messiah came. Why? Because Peter separated the person of Jesus from the purpose of Jesus. And in doing so, he was deceived. What does it mean to you and I to separate the person of Jesus from the purpose of Jesus? It means you claim the benefits of what Jesus will do for you but you reject the purposes and plans of God for your life. You want him to be your savior, your healer, your deliverer, your provider. You want him to be the son of God who makes you a joint heir. You want him to be all that for you, but you refuse to obey his word. You refuse to accept his will. You don't do what he says. You don't live for the purposes of God. You only want to enjoy what he does for you. And when you make that mistake, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter acknowledged who Jesus was, but denied the reason for his coming to earth. And that's where many of us are going astray. For you see, whenever you seek the blessings of Jesus, but won't walk in his ways, you separate the person of Jesus from the purpose of Jesus. Oh, we love the Jesus who saves us and heals us and blesses us. We love the Jesus who forgives us and comforts us. But we reject the Jesus who comes as a king to rule over us. And Jesus warned us seriously about separating his person from his purposes in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Listen carefully to the words of Christ. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. These people proclaim Jesus as Lord but they did not submit to him as Lord. They knew Christ's identity, but denied his rulership in their lives. This is exactly what demons do. Did you know that demons believe in Jesus? They even proclaim him. Anytime in the New Testament when demons came into the presence of Jesus, they often cried out, we know who you are, Jesus, the son of God. But while they acknowledged the person of Jesus, they disobeyed the purpose of Jesus. James says the demons believe in God and even tremble in fear, but they still don't submit and surrender. So let me ask you a question. What's the difference between a demon who believes in God but disobeys him and a churchgoer who believes in God and disobeys him? Nothing. There is no difference. There is no difference between demons who believe in God but disobey him and Christians who believe in God but disobey him. That's why Jesus turned to Peter and said, I rebuke you, Satan, for the devil is never far when we reject the purposes of God. He himself agrees to the person of Jesus, but he rejects the purposes of Jesus. 
And Almighty God deserves not only my praise, but my obedience. Almighty God deserves not only my worship, but also my lifestyle of faith. Almighty God requires that I submit to his agenda, not he to mine. Almighty God requires that I submit to his purposes and not develop my own plan. Too many of us form our own plan, and then we ask God to bless our plan. But Almighty God says, I have a plan, accept my plan. Jesus rebuked Peter, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And what would Jesus say to you today? Do you have in mind the concerns of God or only your own concerns? Are you living for the purposes of God or only your own plan? Do you follow his way or yours? Do you seek to enjoy the person of Christ yet reject the purposes of Christ? God's position demands that we fear him. God's truth teaches us to fear him. And there's one other reason we must fear God. Number three, God's love motivates me to fear him. Here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you today. If you really believed that God is love and that God loves you, then you would do what he tells you. You would obey him perfectly every time because you would realize everything he tells you to do is for your own good. God's laws are for your own good. They are given not to hinder you, but to bless and protect you. And Christ's love motivates us to fear and obey him because we know that all of God's laws come from love. He will never ask you to do anything that is not in your own best interest. That's why 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15 says, For Christ's love compels us that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You know, friends, this is one of the most important things we need to understand today about obeying God. Too many of us see rules and laws as something bad, something negative, something that will hinder and oppress us and bind us. We view God's laws as something to be avoided, something to be feared, or something to dread. There are many who believe that following God's rules will result in a boring life, no fun at all. But listen to what God himself said in Romans 7:12. The law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. This is a New Testament verse. It's not an Old Testament verse. See, sometimes we think the law is only for the Old Testament. But here, God says in the New Testament, my law is holy, my law is righteous, my law is good. God's law is never bad. It's never harmful. It's never hurtful to us. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. God's law is good, not bad. The problem in the Old Testament was never the law of God, it was the sin of man. We might be tempted to think there was something wrong with the law, but there was never anything wrong with God's law, for God's law is good. The problem was man's sin. That's why David could say in Psalm 119.97, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. God's laws are for your own good. They're given not to hinder, but to bless. You can never foolproof your life until you submit to God's law and obey his word. See, God doesn't just demand obedience because he's God. He doesn't demand obedience to make you miserable. His love gives us laws to protect us. And when we fear the Lord, we will enjoy every blessing God gives. 
For Isaiah 33, 5 and 6 says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with his justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. God is a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. And you can tap into that great store. You can receive all these from him when you fear him and submit to him. When we fear the Lord, we allow his hand to guide ours. Sometimes he puts his hand on ours and leads us. Sometimes he demonstrates and we take over from there. Sometimes he talks and we obey. But the more you let the master guide you, the greater your life will be. In fact, Psalm 34, 9 tells us, Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. So how do you want your life to turn out? Do you want to do it all by yourself? Or do you want to submit to the only one who can turn your life into a masterpiece? The wise thing is to submit to the author of all wisdom. Fear the Lord. Follow his ways. Submit your life to God. You'll foolproof your life and create a masterpiece at the same time. For God's position demands that I fear him. God's truth teaches me to fear him. And God's love motivates me to fear him. When you fear God, it is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom will foolproof your life. Father in heaven, we pray today that you'll stir us to submit to you. Change our hearts, Lord. Rather than seeking wisdom, we come to surrender to the source of wisdom. For we know in following you and your ways, we will have abundance of wisdom every day in our lives. I ask you to move upon your people today, that everyone listening and watching will take a new decision, a new step of faith, a new direction today, to say, Lord, you are God, and I am not. I fear you. I submit to you. I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you for listening to this message. Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb is the senior pastor of Agape House, New Testament Church in East Lagon. If you are ever in Accra, we would like you to worship with us on Saturday night at 6 p.m. or on Sunday at 7.30, 9.30 or 11.30 a.m. You will have an awesome experience.